When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to a Bizarro World episode of the Total Soccer Show. The U.S. men beat Mexico in a Gold Cup final for the first time in 14 years. But then the U.S. women lost to Canada for the first time in 20 years. Now they'll play Australia in the bronze medal game. With me this morning to try to figure out what went wrong are two fine folks. Up first is a woman who we learned last time will never give up the opportunity to take a penalty, unlike Christine Sinclair. It's Jordan Angeli. Jordan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. That was a moment, huh? When yeah. Sink just walked the ball to Jesse Fleming. I was like, all right, what a, what a leader. But anyways, no, that wouldn't have been me. I would have been like, <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> and then you would have, you would have finished as well as Fleming did though. Let's ju- yeah. I mean, course, this is a made up world, right? So yes, of course. <laughs> all right. And with us is a gentleman who stayed up to edit the Gold Cup review episode so that I did not too. He's maybe earned himself some sleep today. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, how are the energy levels? Oh, the energy levels are good. They would have been better if this game had gone a different direction. Oh. But yeah, no, we're recharged. The batteries are, are not at a hundred percent, but they're, they're approaching the, I don't know, upper quartile of battery percentage, Taylor. <laughs> Joe, I'm assuming the answer to this is no, but I'm going to ask it anyway. With, uh, the U.S. men's game going into extra time, the late hour that we recorded, the little sleep you got, when this seemed to be heading for potentially extra time and penalties again, was there any relief to you when Canada scored? <laughs> At least we knew something was going to happen in regulation. Oh, Taylor, this is another one of those games that I already seen the result ah, for. There we so go. I didn't have to go through that mental guilt potentially of maybe just wanting anybody to score and not really caring who it was. I already knew what was going to happen, which always does inform my viewing a little bit. But uh, it did save me from that sort of conundrum. And it saved you from having to go on the record about rooting against the U.S. Women's National Team. So well done, Joe. Well done to Canada. A 1-0 win, as I said. Much to be analyzed. First, I want to say that this result was obviously very disappointing. It was very frustrating. uh, But it was not a disaster. This is the same team that has won two, two World Cups. The last two World Cups, I should say. They had a ridiculous unbeaten run heading into this tournament. All good teams are going to lose at some point. And in this tournament, that happened twice. But when the team loses and when they're as good as the U.S. women have been, we want them to do it while playing well. And I don't think that happened today. So I think it's worth breaking down this performance, but also keeping in mind that they are and have been a special team. With that said, that's sort of my disclaimer up front. I want to jump to the final moments of this game because the U.S. had changed their shape. It felt like they were still pretty much attacking in a fairly blunt way as they had been for most of the game. And it did not feel to me like they were going to get back in it, like they were going to get an equalizer. If they did, it felt like it would have been sort of a fluky one. And I was strangely frustrated, but at the same time, not surprised because this felt like the way this tournament had been going was not losing in a final but not even making the final and not doing so in in fairly disappointing fashion jordan what about you and then joe will come to you where were y'all as the kind of final minutes seconds ticked off on this one i'm with you on that taylor and i think the the difficult thing is even though 2012 was so long ago those memories of the comeback with in that game the game was against canada right in the semifinal Mm -hmm. they played in 2012, I think, in the semifinal. Right. Am I making that up? No, I think and that was like the, okay. the very late the late equalizer and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Gosh, I, I feel like there's been so many soccer games <laughs> since then, but that memory still feels so real. And in that game, it felt like they were going to come back. In this game, I actually didn't... I thought this was going to penalties because there was just yep. really nothing happening for either team. And the, the PK was a fluke and... The U.S. looked unconvincing and after that when they were down a goal that they were going to get one. I think you said if it, if they did get a goal, it would be something that wasn't really, it just came out of nowhere. I think it was hard 
hard for me, though, just to see. I think the images of Carly Lloyd were difficult because this is a team who's been in these spots and continued to figure out a way to get over them. And they couldn't figure that out. And you could just tell, like, it was eating her alive in that moment. Like, how did we not figure it out? How do we not do that? And I think that's the big question that everybody wants answered. So, um, yeah, I, I just... It didn't feel like the U.S.'s tournament from, honestly, the first whistle back there against Sweden a couple, a week and a half ago. So, um, yeah, it was, it was difficult. Did you see the, the images Andrew Das tweeted of Carly Lloyd after the game, like running wind sprints by herself yeah. on an empty field? She was, she, I feel like she was no. definitely not ready for this one to be over. So I, I'm with you. I, I felt that for Carly Lloyd. I didn't see that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it was emotional and like tragic all at once. So instead of being sad about that, I'll go over to Joe to ask you, Joe, what you were feeling in those final moments. Obviously already knowing the score. Sure. So I'm assuming that factored into things. But at that point, were you thinking like, yeah, this kind of did end up going the way I thought it would when I first saw that scoreline? Yeah. I mean, it felt like. It just, this game felt like a continuation of all the moments we've talked about. Maybe setting that mm-hmm. New Zealand game aside, frustrating moments against the Netherlands in the quarterfinals of this tournament, really frustrating moments against Sweden, frustrating moments at times against Australia, although that game is, is weird because the U.S. didn't really need to get anything more than a draw in that game. It's the classic, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. This team was disappointing at this tournament. They didn't... They didn't play to the level that we know they can. The players didn't execute things fully. We'll talk more about that later. Vlatko, I, I really, the more I watch this team under Vlatko, at this tournament specifically, the more I think, man, he didn't set this team up in a way that will actually allow them to succeed. But none of that stuff is new from this game. That stuff has been here throughout this tournament. And we didn't know for sure. We weren't ready to make conclusions about it after the 3 nothing loss to Sweden. But looking back on it now, Things didn't change in a real positive way. This team could have gotten knocked out against the Netherlands in penalties. This team could have not made it out of the group, potentially. I mean, it it just was a disappointing tournament. And I can't think of another word that really encapsulates my feelings better than that one. And so I doubt that there are many people who are going to want a detailed, in-depth breakdown of just this game, but more so maybe the, the tournament as a whole. But I think I would like to look at sort of why this game on an individual level went wrong and then maybe looking at the tournament in a broader sense. Uh, so, Joe, when you saw the U.S. lineup and the Canadian lineup, what were your sort of expectations in terms of the personnel that you saw? Were you surprised by anything or were you hopeful that we would see anything different? Well, I mean, the personnel, I think, was pretty close to what we talked about, the three of us, after that Netherlands game, after that game against the Netherlands. It was Alex Morgan and Tobin Heath and Lynn Williams as that front three. I think that three on paper brings some direct speed. You have some individual 1v1 skill in Tobin Heath. Alex Morgan can get in behind. It's a trio that I I like. I maybe would have liked to see Carly Lloyd. Can't you, though? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We can talk more about that later on. Okay. I think I would have preferred to see Carly Lloyd and the quality that she can bring to a game dropping in and and working between the lines a little bit more. But it wasn't an unexpected front three. The midfield three, I thought, made sense. We saw Rose Lavelle, Julie Ertz, and Lindsay Horan in there. And then the back four was pretty standard. It was Tierna Davidson in for Abby Dahlkemper. But none of the center backs have really separated themselves from the others in this tournament so far. So I wasn't particularly surprised by that either. And then you have Alyssa Nair in goal, and she comes out in the first half due to an injury. Canada's shape. I thought it was really interesting. They kind of oscillated between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-4-2 diamond, the 4-2-3-1 in possession, uh-huh. that they tried to play through the U.S.'s press at times and didn't have great success with that. But defensively, I thought they had a really smart approach. They drop Christine Sinclair in to midfield as the tip of that diamond, and she would oftentimes be tracking and shadowing Julie Ertz. And then the two wingers would pinch in and pressure the U.S.'s center backs, and then they'd have the midfield three as the sides and the base of that diamond. And it worked well shifting side to side and absorbing pressure. So none of none of the, the lineup or tactical things necessarily surprised me in this game. It should have been enough for the U.S. to get this game, to, to actually win this one. And it, it wasn't. Jordan, did you have any concerns when you saw that lineup, when you saw what Canada were doing in the first five or ten minutes? Did you still have kind of faith that the United States would find a way to get a result? I think this team and who they are in big knockout rounds, you you always have faith that they are going to find a result no matter what a, a team throws at them. So I kind of was on the the 
thought pattern of, okay, they had a win in penalties against the Netherlands. They're evaluating as they had this whole tournament. Okay, how can we be better in the next game, knowing that this was not only a big match in the Olympics, but also against Canada, one a team that constantly like feels like they're better than the U.S. and that they can beat them and just haven't been able to. And so there's all those things. And I'm like, okay, they'll figure out a way. They'll figure it away. But I, I'm with Joe. I think the way that Canada approached it, especially when they were in that 4-4-2 diamond defensively and how they clogged the middle of the field up and made the U.S. play to the outside backs and then engage this trap where they couldn't play out through Julie Ertz. Uh, the bottom of the diamond in Scott really did a good job of shadowing a ball into the front runners. All these things just played into the way the U.S. have been playing as well. So then it was a long ball from the outside backs trying to get in behind um, in just an unconvincing way. So I thought their defensive strategy was spot on and they executed really well. And I think the the challenging part for this, Taylor and Joe, is is the U.S. just weren't able to adapt. And I think that's the hardest part um, when you think about this team, how good they've been for so long. Have they had to adapt? I don't know. I think that's the question that we're really trying to ask, right? Yeah. I mean, I think they've, they've certainly needed to. I, I think that is... I think you're right there, Jordan. I think that is kind of the a major issue. I shouldn't say the major issue, but if we're trying to get like a bullet point list, I would say the inability to adapt or just the lack of lack of flexibility in the way the United States was trying to build, trying to possess, trying to create chances. It, it kept going back to me to a, a feeling of a team that is used to having a bit more time and space, is used mm-hmm. to teams sitting off in more of a block and defending. And so you can build out, you can get the ball into attacking positions. You've got numbers committed forward. You've got possession sort of sustained possession at that once everybody's where they need to be then you can sort of run your plays run your sequences shift people around try to pull the defense apart and you get opportunities and you get those kind of that sustained pressure of eventually the team is going to make a mistake track somebody too far let a gap open up and then the u.s can take their chances here again it was when they get sort of pressured high up when julie Ertz is blocked out when the passes through the middle aren't on when there's a lack of individual sharpness it did seem like the result was you know what just go long just go down the channels we'll make something happen we'll cross the ball into Uh the box and i did not see that next level adaptation which i think we would have liked to see and probably should have seen because this wasn't necessarily unexpected, uh, as uh, Beth Priestman said uh, p- following the game, that Canada had learned a lot from their 1-0 friendly loss to the U.S. in February. They got sniffs of things that they thought they could exploit, and I think that was probably one that the U.S. didn't do as well when you went with that diamond uh, in the midfield. Uh, Joe, did you see a- any way that the United States could have passed their way through that midfield diamond or could have done things to disrupt what Canada wanted to do? Yes, absolutely. There there are moments at the end of the first half where Canada's been running this diamond defense for, throughout the, the first 25 minutes. And the U.S., it looks to me like they just kind of happen into a three-at-the-back shape temporarily in possession. It ends up with uh, Kelly O'Hara staying a little bit deeper and, and almost becoming a right center back in possession. And so then you have Becky Sauerbrunn, who is the right center back in this game, becoming a center center back. And then you have Davidson as the left center back. And they're in this just temporary shape while Crystal Dunn is high on the left side. But now that they're in a diamond, uh, now that they're in a back three, excuse me, Canada's diamond mm-hmm. isn't, d- doesn't match up as well, right? Because uh-huh. before you have the two center backs and the number six for the U.S., which Canada can put their two forwards on the two center backs and Christine Sinclair on the number six. Boom, man-to-man matchups. You can't really play through that space. When you change the shape and essentially you're just dropping the number six into the back line. I know that wasn't the rotation here, but it was a little bit later on. You're, you're inverting that number six and dropping it into the middle of the back line, you change up how Canada can press you. And Canada couldn't really figure out what to do in that moment. And so there's the sequence, 40, 41st, 42nd, 43rd minute, where Becky Sauerbrunn has the ball and she just drives forward through midfield. And she has just this giant lane for her to be able to dribble through. And she takes advantage of it. And the ball doesn't go anywhere because the U.S.'s structure after that back three really isn't uh, positionally sound. But the same thing almost happens again just a few minutes later with this time it is Julie Ertz dropping into the back line to create that back three with o- O'Hara and Crystal Dunn higher. And that look I thought was great and it was actually working and the U.S. had just lucked into it, it looked like. I didn't think it was any p- specific instruction. And then the second half starts and I'm waiting to see it again and I didn't see it at all until 
the end of the game when Crystal Dunn shifts over to right center back after Sam Mewis comes on in, in 10 minutes, 15 minutes left to go in this game, there were moments for the U.S. to just tweak their positioning slightly. And they, they lucked into it, but they never continued it. And I think that really hurt them. I think that was exactly spot on, Joe. When I was watching this game, it sometimes you can use a high press against the team that's pressing, right? And one of the ways that you can do that is just dribble out of those situations and in, in safe areas. But I do think it was calling for just beating that first line of, of two players in defense for Canada through a center back dribble, or as you mentioned, it sometimes was an outside back that had tucked in as part of a three back beating that first line. And then, then they have to adapt, right? Then someone has to be dragged out. Um, maybe it's the outside of the try or the diamond that steps on to Becky Sauerbrunn. Well, now is your outside back open? Now you play your outside back. The outside back for the opposing team has to step there in the channel. It's a trickle effect, a domino effect of just one little decision to beat the line of press uh, through an aggressive dribble. But the thing that lacked is when that happened, and you said this, Joe, is there was still no movement off the ball for the U.S. Everyone was yeah. still running away from the ball. No one was... And I shouldn't say no one because it did happen in times, but a lot of the times everyone was just like, okay, I'm ready for the cross. And that <laughs> that wasn't what was on. Yeah, I want to talk some more uh, about crossing, but uh, since we're talking about the lack of movement, lack of effort, I think I'm going to take a brief three to four minute break to take a nap <laughs> while we hear from some sponsors. Uh, we can all catch some shut eye really quickly and then we will be back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
All right, hopefully you both are refreshed. I, I, I hope you got that, that cat nap in, and now we're good to go for another 15 or 20 minutes or so. <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about that crossing and the reliance uh, thereon. Joe, I would like to read two tweets to you. Please. Uh, here you go. According to Opta, the U.S. women's national team crossed the ball 42 times against Canada last night. That's not good. The U.S. pressed well, but they lacked clear ideas and execution in possession in the final third. Too often, the U.S. would get on the ball in the attacks and several runners into the middle and rely on inch-perfect service from out wide to create chances. Does that uh, series of tweets sound familiar to you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Is it because you wrote it? Oh, is it really? It is. <laughs> it is because you wrote it in February about that USA-Canada game. It feels very Dang. relevant for the game that we are now uh, discussing. <laughs> I think the number of crosses was 38 this time, inst- 36, excuse me, instead of 42. But otherwise, those two tweets feel very accurate for the way things played out uh, against Canada in the Olympics. I was just thinking, man, that feels like an accurate synopsis of this game. I don't know. I don't know where those tweets came from, but that feels familiar because I just watched it play out in front of me. Wow. Uh, I guess credit to February me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really know where to go with that. The US, they're static. And this is what I, I think I mentioned earlier. It just feels like we're having some of the same conversations that we've had throughout this tournament. I think back to, shoot, I can't remember what game it was at this point, but they do blend together. Jordan, you talking about just five players being in a straight line when the ball is out on the right wing and there's, there's no depth. There's no dimension. That's the word you used to this U.S. attack. And that happened again in this game. They had the back three in, in some fortunate moments where they, they'd happened into that shape. But then it, there was no other continuity. There, was, there were no players coming to the ball. There was no real purposeful off-ball movement. And that was just incredibly frustrating to me because this is a team that has so much quality. And I think if you upped their work in possession by 20% of what they're doing right now, they would be... They'd be mm-hmm. scary good. They would be scary good. Yeah. And it's just not happening. It's too static. It's static in buildup. There's so many passes in the first half of this game where the U.S. are on the ball. It's 12th minute. Tierna Davidson plays the ball into midfield, just gets picked right off. Then the 13th minute, it's Becky Sauerbin looking for Crystal Dunn out on the left side. The ball sails out of bounds. They're, they're not even trying to play. They're trying to pass, sure, but the passing is slow. And the off-ball movement isn't there to really create gaps in Canada's shape. And so it just ends up being these hopeful passes, whether that's in buildup, in possession, in the middle third, or in the final third, which is probably where it's most noticeable, because then we do see that over-reliance on crosses. It just, it's not how you want to approach soccer games, and it's certainly not how you want to approach soccer games when you have this much talent. That's how you end up wasting this much talent and crashing out in the semifinals of this tournament. Jordan, do you have any thoughts on that lack of movement from your playing experience when you do have those sort of numbers pushed high? And then I agree with Joe, sort of making those runs and then turning and looking 40 yards back down the field for where the ball still is and then kind of waiting for it to be progressed. I often think like, okay, now I expect them to recycle those runs or drop in or or try to just do something different to uh, imbalance the opponent. I didn't see a ton of that from the U.S. last night, and I'm assuming there are reasons for that, but I struggle to think of them. So I turn it to you to do the heavy lifting. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the easy question. Yeah, no problem. Um, no problem. I wish I knew why that was happening because this is a very intelligent team. These players are top class, world class. To me, and I keep going back to this idea of pressing the game, and I hope people understand what I mean by pressing the game. It's not literally high pressing and physically running around doing everything to win the ball back, that type of pressing. It's when you're trying so hard for something that you're pressing that idea. And I feel like that is what the U, it felt like that throughout this whole tournament that the U.S., couldn't find their identity, and then they were pressing to score goals to prove that they were really good. And how do you score goals? Well, you need to be in front of the box, right? You need to be closer to the goal. And I feel like the runs were indicative of that. They were just very blasé runs that didn't move defender, didn't have that depth of saying, okay, yeah, I am, as you just mentioned, Taylor, right? Check away and stretch the back line only to then come back in and find the gap that I've just created because of my movement off the ball. It was just one-dimensional. And so I I don't know. I I wish I could I wish I could say what it felt like to be on that team right now. That is just my perception of what it looked like throughout this really entire tournament, even the game where they beat New Zealand. It still felt like that. And I think that was the game that we were talking about where they were all on the back line and got called offside a bajillion times. It 
it just felt like they doubted yeah in a way who they were and then they were like we have to prove and it was like the the proving wasn't in and i think i mentioned this earlier jerry smith my my college coach if if you're in a rut he'd say work hard play simple and be positive and i think I don't know if those things at all, like, I don't know how much of that was working. I don't know if we saw much positive, like, communication because we could hear things on the field. Um, there were some like, all right, let's go. We got this, like, stuff like that. Um, but it's being positive with yourself too. play simple. We, we definitely didn't see that and work hard. I think, I think they worked hard defensively, but I don't think they worked hard, hard off the ball in attack, yeah. which, is what we're we're asking for. So I do really think that that's such a good formula to getting out of a rut and, um, you know, maybe could have been implemented in some moments here for the U.S. I want to keep going with the idea of identity, but I also want to stick with the lack of movement for a second because an obvious explanation there would be uh, fitness or a lack thereof and then maybe just the, the demands of this tournament. Obviously, they had the expanded squad size, but still a game every two days, it's going to take a toll. But that would be the case for their uh, opponents as well. And it was strange to me to see the U.S. just look sort of gassed at times, look like they didn't have the legs to get back and defend in certain moments, didn't have the legs to commit to making those big overlapping runs, to sprinting forward, to just causing confusion for Canada. And I, I don't know why that would be the case. Again, I think we're struggling for, for some answers here because it's a team that was rotated and you could argue that that then leads to a lack of chemistry and consistency, but I would argue they're all training together. They're spending mm-hmm. all the time together as a team, so you would expect them to know how they're playing and what's expected of them both as individuals and as a unit. So I don't really know where that la- lack of sort of energy and effort comes from, except for maybe that overall lack of identity or that doubt in that identity. Um, and that is, unless either of you has any more thoughts on the kind of lack of running, I want to go back to the identity then. Sure. Yeah. Keep us going. Because like, I think like Jordan, you're absolutely right that maybe it's just, they couldn't find their identity, but for so long it has been an identity of ruthlessness. And I would Mm -hmm. say of like, ruthlessness that then leads to like swagger it leads to confidence and so to some extent if your identity is confidence and you can't find it it means you're not playing with confidence and and i think that is sort of like the the bigger all-encompassing thing for me is like i equate it with like sometimes when i cook food if i'm making dinner but i haven't really (laughs) checked to see that i have all the ingredients for the recipe then i'll like start and be like "Ooh, i do not have that can i have a (laughs) let me try this that's not gonna work and so then like you're sort of trying to improvise while you're cooking something else, but then that, oh, you're missing an ingredient. And it just seemed like so many things for the U.S. was like, okay, this is kind of working. Oh, no, that's not working anymore. We're going to change it up. We're going to try this. And suddenly you have a bunch of half-finished dishes, none of which are really going to work that well, none of which you really tried to put the next level effort into to finish. And instead, you have more chaos than you had when you started, but you don't really have any concrete answers. And it just seems like for every moment of Becky Sauerbrunn carrying the ball forward or Julie Ertz playing a line-splitting ball, they would then not try that again, or they would wait 15 minutes to try it. Or when they did, players had made runs in behind instead of runs two. And it just seemed like there was never that connectivity, that unified belief, that unified menu that maybe was necessary. I feel like, and, and Jordan, I guess you might be able to speak on this better than I. You will be able to speak on this better than I. I feel like we're talking about sort of lack of confidence and a lack of ruthlessness maybe with how this team approached this game and really this entire tournament. For me, I feel I feel more confident and better equipped to be ruthless when there is a solid framework and structure around me. When I'm aware of what my role is and I'm aware of what my teammate next to me and what their role is and what my, my forward's role is and all of those things, when we're working together and when we're not just all out there on an island individually. Because the U.S. has individual talent, but man, they're so much better when they're actually working together and moving together. That's how soccer works. That's why you're better as a team than you are as an individual player. That's That's obvious. For me, the U.S.'s lack of identity, both from a, I don't know, personality standpoint and also from a tactical standpoint, are very much connected. The U.S. come out, and we've talked about this throughout the tournament. Again, it is a lack of a real tactical identity, which is, I think, hurting their ability to be this team that we know they can be and have been in the past and, and being so aggressive and ruthless and capable and, and providing opportunities for themselves to celebrate and to run up the score and all of those moments. The U.S. don't 
they didn't have an approach. And I think this is, this is an indictment against Vlatko for me, without a doubt. It's, we've, we've talked about this too past. The U.S. aren't direct enough to be putting themselves in situations where they can win second balls and attack against a scrambled defense, but they're also not, not good enough on the ball in possession, in, in patient possession to actually pull a defense apart. And we talked about the lack of off-ball movement. The, the on-ball movement's too slow. And that's also affected by the off-ball movement because players aren't moving and getting into positions to receive the ball. Then you can't play the ball. Then the spacing is poor. All the things that we've mentioned throughout this tournament, those things are a problem. And if you want to see this confident, uh, all-attacking, all-consuming type of U.S. women's national team, you can't be playing like this. You can't be playing without a clear tactical identity and expect to be able to go and be ruthless and take advantage uh-huh. of 1v1 individual matchups out wide or in central midfield. You don't get those matchups if you're not actually playing in a cohesive way and pulling defenders around to create them in the first place. There's a reason we don't see Tobin Heath running at defenders out wide in 1v1 situations. It's because there's not or there hasn't been a structure around her to put her in those positions to actually take advantage of a defender and a qualitative disadvantage for that opposing defender. The same idea applies all over the field. And that, for me, is the most frustrating part of this tournament. I think it's a real problem for Vlako as he continues in his tenure. It's a problem for the U.S. women's national team. Folks are talking about roster and how this roster should have been constructed, and those are fair arguments. But for me, by by far, the biggest issue with this, this team in this tournament for the U.S. is their lack of of offensive tactics and how that's hurt them on an individual level, on a personality and a confidence level, and how it hurt them result-wise in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to talk about the roster construction and the coat, you know, all those things after the fact of a loss, right? In a, in a big, so the, those people probably weren't the same people complaining when that actually happened. Looking at this team before they came into the tournament, you would think, wow, this team could win the Olympics. I mean, nobody oh, yeah. looked at this team and thought otherwise, right? And I think, Joe, you're spot on with so many of those things. And confidence, if we could figure out confidence as a society, I think <laughs> um, we would all just be like doing all these great and amazing things. It is so fragile. Confidence is so fragile. And one of the things that I just, as I was listening to you, that popped into my head too, just from a different perspective, is this team is confidence, but they also, they, they're confident, but they also gain momentum from crowds. I mean, how oh, many yeah. times around the country, they play so many games in the United States and those games, I, I've worked a lot of those games and they are filled with the loudest crowds yeah. that you will ever experience. And Tobin Heath does do that, that you just mentioned, Joe. She takes somebody on and it doesn't connect, but the crowd, whoop, they're in it now, right? They've latched onto it and that then transfers to the team and then they get up. And I wonder how much, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it's just something that popped into my head. So I thought I'd share how much they've relied on that too. And, and not really consciously doing that. But it just being an effect of playing in front of these crowds. I mean, the World Cup, I was at every single one of those games. And they they were U.S.-dominant crowds. And yes, this team is brilliant, and I will not take that away from them. But I do think that this was a unique tournament in a lot of ways. There's no crowds. There's anxiety around just all of the um, protocols that are happening. I think that those things are factors as well. Not to say that they shouldn't have performed better. Yes, of course they should. I think that they all can agree with that. But I do think that there's other things that maybe lead into this, especially when you're talking about confidence, because it is so fragile that once you lose it, how do you regain it? I think that they haven't really learned that because they haven't lost it a lot. And so that's a rant. But I think all those things are little pieces of this bigger puzzle. I think the the crowd noise and the lack of atmosphere is a thing that definitely is worth noting, and I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't really considered it, but you're absolutely right that when they're playing at home, when they do have the crowd behind them, even a substitution, when it's Megan Rapino coming on, I think there is that vibe. There is that like, oh, it's Megan Rapino, yeah. she's coming on, and there's you can feel that in the stadium, and you can feel that if you are the opponent, that, mm-hmm. oh, no, they're bringing in this player, and I know that player, and there is an intimidation factor. When you don't have that, it's just kind of a player coming on. It's still Megan Rapino, but you don't have this big hype and this in, like anticipation and this just noise behind her. And then I think uh, as well, once Canada get the, the go-ahead goal, which ends up being the winner, when the United States start really trying to go for it in the way that they do, 
you also don't have the noise there. And I think you could then hear the sort of lack of energy from the Uh team. And instead, what I could hear was much more like, let's go, let's go, 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 go. Like it was much more cheer yelling than it was like pushing each other on and motivating each other and cheering for each other and really like elevating. And so I think you're right, Jordan, that the kind of silence around the stadium probably did not help them find that next gear, find that chemistry and confidence they needed. Um, so in the end, I think we should just blame uh, COVID. Are we good with that? Let's just blame COVID for this entire <laughs> yeah. situation. Fine. All right, cool. Perfect. All right. Well, then while we do that, we'll take one more break. Then we will be back to finish up talking about this game. And uh, I guess not the tournament as a whole because we still got the bronze medal game. Uh, but a few more thoughts on this one before we call it a day. Uh, when we left, Joe, you had mentioned uh, having a little bit of criticism for Vlatko. And I think aside from crowd noise... When I look at the kind of basic issues, it's Canadian tactics kind of flummoxing the United States, and then it's a lack of identity. And if it's opposition tactics and the inability to adapt to them, and then the inability to inspire belief or to get that confidence going, that does feel like a poor performance from the coach. Obviously, losses are unexpected with this team, but always going to happen. But I think I went into this tournament thinking Vlatko was a little bit bulletproof, and I wouldn't say I think that anymore. I don't, I'm not going to go full uh, Mexican media and call for him to be fired because of two, <laughs> two uh, negative results. But I, I do think I have, he is part of this, at least for me. And I can't tell, for example, if this was a team that didn't get enough instruction or got too much instruction and were almost micromanaged. And again, I think when you can't really tell the difference it feels to me like we don't have the identity. We don't have enough clarity in what this team is doing. We as outsiders don't. So my assumption would then be that they on the field don't either. There's a lot of this for me that goes on Blackco. When you take this, this team and the talented players that they have and you make it less than the sum of their parts, that's a big problem. And yes, I'm not saying that, that this shouldn't go on the players too, right? Some of those sloppy passes I mentioned earlier, yes, there's a lack of off-ball movement, which for me absolutely stems back to the tactical instructions coming from the coach and the coaching staff. But also, just connect passes, right? I mean, th- that's been another theme throughout this tournament, is the U.S. just sloppy on the ball. And I, I believe it's Megan Rapino cutting in in a post-match press conference, uh, and, and it was a question towards Vlatko about tactics or whatever the situation was. And she interrupts and says, you know, something to the effect of this is on us too, right? And it is. There's there's multiple parts of this. And there's plenty of blame to go around in a situation like this. But man, when you look at this U.S. team come out without a clear picture of how they want to play, without a clear identity with the ball, that's that's a problem. I mean, Megan Rapino again, to go back to some post-match press conferences, said something to the effect of we haven't found our joy in this tournament, talking about they haven't found really moments of breakthrough in the attack and moments to really play and, and have those satisfying bits of combination. That's what I think of, at least when I think of joy in a uh-huh. soccer context on the field tactically. That's not their fault, really. Yes, there's elements of communication. And Jordan, you've done a great job of, of keeping us grounded in that regard. But man, the players just aren't close to each other. And at a certain point, that you have to trace that back to where those instructions are coming from. And, and if you want joy, and if you want to combine and really play, you need to be set up in a way that allows you to do that. And the U.S. haven't been. And again, yeah, a lot of that for me stems back to Vlatko. And just a point to piggyback off of that. Unfortunately, Alyssa Nair goes down in the first half. And you, you know, I really hope Alyssa's okay. She's a friend of mine. And that just was a tough thing to watch um, for anyone who's ever had anything happen to their knee. It just didn't look great. Um, but that was a moment in that Vlaco and all, the, the whole team was there, right? You could have adapted in that moment. And I think that's what Joe's saying is, is you go out with a game plan and sometimes that game plan actually doesn't work. And that's okay. But what shows a great team is the ability to adapt in the moments where you you recognize, okay, this isn't working. They're breaking us down here. We need to adjust in this way. And that was a free timeout. You don't get timeouts in soccer and you get this timeout to adjust and adapt. And it didn't really seem to, to me like there was much adaptation there on the coaching part or on the players part. And I do think... At this level with this team, um, you know, I, I think Vlaco is one of the best coaches, um, in the women's game for sure. And I think some of these players are some of the best players in the women's game for sure. But why those two things didn't show up in these moments, I think that's what makes me really like, not concerned, but I, I question it. Like what, what happened there? Do you think there's any argument to be made that 
like having won the way they have the number of times they have and winning two World Cups, like I, I imagine that if you're in that team, you sort of know what it feels like when things are going well, when the squad is bonding, when you're getting the results, when you're figuring it out and you feel confident in your play. That that very much helps you in the tournament, but I think if you are then playing the next tournament and you don't have that, or it's not the same, or you're charting at this point last tournament, we had figured this out, and I still don't know. Like I can I can envision a scenario in which players are looking at past successes in past competitions and thinking this feels different, and I don't know how a coach kind of gets through that. I don't know how a coach changes that dialogue. But I can see that being the case here, where as you start to misplay a pass or ah, I didn't have that bad of a game in the 2019 World Cup, what's going on? I'm not I'm not able to do stuff. And I think that anytime a player starts kind of questioning their own ability, that's when they stop being able to execute those basics that Joe was talking about. So, Jordan, Uh to some extent, do you think the pattern of success factors in? I do. Just just in I know this isn't super relatable to youth soccer, but I know the club that I grew up in had this like percentage of wins and losses that they they seek to have. So they wanted about 70 to 80 percent wins, 20 percent to 30 percent losses. And that means that you're playing against teams who are challenging you in the way that that you're having to adapt and make those decisions and lose. Right. And figure out what it means to lose and win the next game. Um so just with that model, I think I think about that in general, whether it's in MLS, whether it's on the international stage, NWSL, whatever it is, sometimes losses are the best thing that can happen to you. And I think for especially when you're talking about Vlaco and this women's national team, they've seen nothing but success under him. They hadn't lost until they got into the Olympics which is one of two of the biggest tournaments that they play as a squad. And so I think, yes, we celebrated Vlaco as the best. Um, he had the best start of any women's national team coach in history, which should be celebrated. Yeah, that is, that is a good look. But I think he would have preferred losses happen earlier and not have that record in order to, to have that balance and say, all right, here are the things that we, we really struggle with. So now when we're in this yeah. situation where it's do or die, it's, you know, win or go home, it's have to score goals to advance. We know how to adapt and we know, I know as a coach, they know as players, um, how we, are in those moments, how we show up, who, where our weaknesses are, where our strengths are. And I think that that just was, you know, is not something that the U.S. have very much or have had for a little while. And now we see all these countries, which we've been asking for years, who have caught up and who are really quality and pose all these problems for the U.S. women's national team. And unfortunately, it was just in this tournament. So, I do think that there is something to be said with all the success and all the wins and um, no losses. And I, I'm going to put a, I don't know how many people would know this off the top of their head, but I'm sure somebody could figure it out. I don't know in the last like stretch of five games that the U.S. Women's National Team has where they've been shut out three times. That's something that is pretty incredible. Um, so you know, there's, there's just issues there. And, and when things aren't going right, right. And then you can't score goals. Um, yeah, it just all goes back to then where are you getting your confidence from? So all those things. And I think to the point of, of the U S maybe not losing and then not being able to learn from those losses. Yes. Like even looking at, at the game that Canada like spotlighted, uh, Bev Priestman spotlighted as being one where they learn more about the U S and they learned, Again, they, they sniffed out some uh, possibilities. That's in a 1-0 loss where you then feel like, okay, we've come close. We have an idea. Let's build on that. Let's kind of capitalize on certain moments that we learn from, and let's get that result. For the U.S., like they are seasoned professionals. They are, uh, some of them, multi-world champions. Uh, but, but I can see a, a scenario in which Canada like pu- push you and push you and push you, but you still get that 1-0 win. And rather than your takeaway being like, ah, oh, that was really close. We got to evolve. We got to adapt. It's that was really close, but we still won. And so as long as we kind of keep doing what we, we've been doing and persist uh-huh. in our identity, we're going to get the result. But as soon as you start to question that identity or don't have the full confidence in it, then that very tight margin, that one nil win very quickly switches the other way, which is uh, what we saw today, which I guess brings us back to Canada, Joe. For for this ca- Canadian team, we're there 
any particular players that you feel like we should spotlight? Because we've talked a lot about the United States, but there were some some big performers from Canada today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Christine Sinclair and the defensive work that she did in this one, in addition to the quality that she brings on the ball and, and being a reliable outlet. I, I think she was really impressive. I always enjoy watching Jesse Fleming uh, play for Canada and, and when I get a chance to watch glimpses of her at club level. She's a, a really strong player and seeing her take that penalty kick and place it how she did was was brilliant. Um, I really enjoy Prince for Canada as well. I think she has good speed, really a lot of quality on the ball that she brought on the left side. Overall, just a, a strong – man, OK, I, I even hesitate to credit Canada too, too much because they were good and, and they didn't get played off the field. But, I mean, the U.S. weren't banging down any doors here. But that – I mean, there were strong performances from them. They moved well in midfield. There is credit for them, I, I guess. But, man, yeah, the U.S. made their lives a little bit too easy. Joe, any criticism for you on the penalty decision? Uh, man, I don't know. What's a penalty and what's not a penalty anymore? Oh I feel like gosh. I should know that. I feel like I really should given what I do, but uh, I don't. And it, it is a moment out of nothing for Canada. It's a long ball from goal that's flicked on and then Rose gets in behind and, and Davidson sees her. She, You can see her look over and so she knows that that Rose is there but doesn't react quickly enough. For, I, I don't know. What, do you guys think that's a penalty? I think it was harsh. Jordan I really says harsh. do. I, I, I think it was a harsh penalty. Really? So I, I, I think I can see where you're coming from. I think it's just that this penalty happens, this type of penalty happens way more often than, than I think I realize. And it is always harsh. It always seems like yeah. it shouldn't be a penalty, but it's, it's usually given. I, I asked uh, our Euro group chat uh, for a reminder of which game it was. It was uh, Graham Ruthven with the assist on Spain versus Slovakia. This exact thing happened to Koke. I think he initially gets called for the foul. Then the replay shows the defender in clearing the ball kicks Koke instead, and it is a penalty for Spain. Oh, We've seen it yeah. in the Premier League before in a couple different instances, and it just it always feels so harsh but it always gets called the same way. So it's I one mean, of yeah. those moments where it feels harsh, but also at the same time, it's kind of consistently called. Uh, but yeah, I think maybe it's red, white, and blue glasses for me with the call feeling harsh, but I think in the end, probably justified. I think it's also just harsh because like the where she is in the box, mm-hmm. right? Like, is she really, those are the ones that are the hardest for me. Like, yeah. is she really going to score from right there? Is that really going to happen? And I know that it's not the rule, right? That's, that's not how it's judged. But just me as a, you know, if I was on the field, I would be like, man, that freaking sucks. That, <laughs> that is a harsh penalty. She's not even going towards the goal. She's literally running out of the box. And yet she gets a free opportunity to score. Ugh. Yeah, so it's my, harsh. My takeaway from this one is that Jordan blames uh, the penalty and the officiating crew and Joe blames a diamond. Is that about the, the gist of things? <laughs> can that be our quick summary of this uh, game uh, as a whole? Sure. Oh, yeah. boy. Perfect. Oh, boy. All right. uh, we can talk individuals if we want, although I don't think there were many that stood out for the U.S. Uh, I criticized Alex Morgan earlier. I think that was sort of because I kept seeing the U.S. trying to stretch and push Canada back, but I don't think that works as well if you don't have the ball within 20 yards. If you're trying to do that while the ball is still with the center backs, so it's like 40 or 50 yards away, then you're going direct too often. But I don't know if that was her as an individual or the U.S. as a team. So maybe it makes more sense to say we have the bronze medal game. I think that's Thursday at 4 a.m. I doubt we're going to be covering that one live or doing an instant react, but what would you all like to see in that final game, either in terms of approach, in terms of just what we see on the pitch, the way the players are combining, or in terms of individual players getting starts? I'd like to see Katarina Macario, just mm. to have her get a more extended look. It is time, and it is maybe it has been time, for the U.S. to be using their young talent more. Right. And again, I've been on the record. I don't think that's the primary issue here for the U.S. in this tournament. That's not why they crashed out in my view at all. But I mean, it is it's time to integrate that more. And Katarina Macari is going to be a big part of that. So I'd like to see her especially. I always enjoy watching Rose Lavelle in any game that I get to watch Rose Lavelle. I don't count as a total loss, even if the U.S. women's national team do end up losing. She's so smooth on the ball and just really does bring quality that's that's not present in a lot of other players and in her own specific way. It's tactically, stylistically, maybe this sounds too Debbie Downer. I've given up hope on really seeing any meaningful changes. And to be honest, I'm not sure any changes would be all that meaningful for this bronze medal game. Not that you don't want to win a medal. That's still an incredibly cool thing. But 
I don't think I'm going to be reading too much into the tactical side of things in this last game if we do see a whole overhaul because you know it's not really the time and place to be doing that. I think it's the next the next set of friendlies or the next tournament or whatever the situation is. That's what you want to be building towards and that's really where I'd like to see some tactical changes with the ball especially. I'm not totally optimistic that that's going to happen, but uh yeah, I'd settle for Katarina Macario on Thursday, Taylor. I'm with that. Sales- all right, go, go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. I said, I just feel like I, I like that shout. Um, even Emily Sonnet, I thought when she started, gosh, now I have to recall. I think it's the game against Australia. I think you are. She started Australia or New Zealand, whatever. She, she, I thought she had a good performance and, um, it would be nice to see her. She always brings like the, a little bit of like wild intensity that I think yes. would be nice. <laughs> I do appreciate um, the wild intensity. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it's, it edges. It's on the edge of, um, Oh no, but, uh, I, I think it would be nice right now. Um, I'm just going to go back to more, more work off the ball. I just think that that is such a, it's a, it's a key thing for them. And, um, maybe, maybe they need Jerry Smith's, um, how to get out of a slump, play simple, <laughs> be positive and work hard. I like that. Uh, it was Emily Sana versus New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand. I, I thought it was okay. Australia, but yeah. There you go. Uh, and I think I would like to see that movement, that possession, that like the intent, just the attacking intent and intensity to go with it. I, I would prefer to see Julie Ertz continue to play where she has been, but I think carrying an injury, it looked like she got maybe slightly injured again in this game. She's played a lot, so I, I suspect we won't end up seeing Julie Ertz. But Joe, not to be contrarian again, I, I thought this was a uninspiring to poor performance from Rose Lavelle. And I'm not used to saying that. I'm not used to thinking it. I feel a little bit like I'm committing blasphemy here. But (laughs) so it was a lot of what we've talked about with this U.S. team as a whole. It was passes played behind a runner or passes just maybe slightly overhit or a ball not controlled or a 50-50 lost. It's just it wasn't the level that I've come to expect from Rose Lavelle. So if she starts, that's great. And maybe she turns it around, but I also wouldn't hate seeing maybe Katarina Macario and maybe Christy Mewis, who we haven't seen a ton of in this tournament. And I'm with mm-hmm. you, Jordan. I wouldn't mind seeing Emily Sonnet either, just to give us, just to give her another minute, just to give the U S a different look, just to bring some of that intensity and a little bit of chaos in both a positive and a negative way. So those are some changes I would be okay with anything else to look forward to in that bronze game for either of you. You're still playing for a medal. There's still a lot of pride on the line, and I think that that can't be lost. And, you know, there's disappointment. And, you know, we started off with the moments of disappointment after and Carly Lloyd in particular. But, um, yeah, still still a big opportunity. Some of these players will never be there again. And so there's still a lot on the line. Wow. All right. That That is a dramatic note that I feel like is important to end on. Uh, I think we will be back later in the week to talk about that bronze medal game, but also we'll put out a call for some listener questions about this team, about this Olympics, and about what happens next. We'll do our best to answer those. But for now, uh, Jordan, thank you so much for taking all the time to make sense of this U.S. loss. I was feeling confused heading into recording. I think I'm feeling slightly less confused because my main takeaways are that there was a lack of of adaptation to what Canada were doing. There was a lack of movement and there was an overall lack of identity and belief. So three different lack ofs led to a loss. But Jordan, thank you again for helping me talk my way through this game. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk it through with both of you guys. (laughs) Uh, And Joe, same thing to you. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That's that's an equally appropriate way to end for my poor conclusion. But listeners, thank you all very much for sticking with us through this tournament. One more game, and then the summer of soccer continues with preseason and league previews. But maybe, maybe some naps in there, too. For now, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon. 